Well, here we are. And in many respects, things seem to be moving along a bit more steadily than a few months ago. As Churchill said, this is not the end, it's not even the beginning of the end. But it is perhaps the end of the beginning. How profound. Well, we just have to wait and see, won't we? Uh, and obviously, uh, we're going to continue to be sensible. I'll probably still be wearing a mask occasionally. How about you? Yeah, definitely. It makes sense to stay cautious, I think, in certain areas of life anyway. But I'll be going out a bit more, I think, definitely. Well, welcome to the cautious, mask-wearing, but maybe quietly confident, Baltic Triangle podcast with me, Mark Reeson. And me, Mick Ord. Today, we'll be visiting the award-winning Baltic workshop, which has taken wood craftsmanship to another level with their high-end design and handmade bespoke furniture. There are easier ways to make money than the way that we do it here, yeah. but we're not necessarily uh, trying to be the most efficient or the most profitable. What we're trying to do is do the most interesting stuff because that's what me and Howard are interested in. That's what we want to be known for, what we want to build a, our, our business on. And we hear from the restaurateur who's about to open his fourth eatery in the city after a challenging year and why he's quietly confident about the future. What we've created is, is for four different restaurants, brands, call them what you want, um, with real identity and, and uniqueness, all within a mile of each other. Um, and we've been able to create that in a fairly small city, you know, Liverpool. So future-wise, we, you know, we, we, we feel we've got um, a really strong business that we can, you know, the foundations are there and four brilliant businesses that we could take to other cities if, if that's how we, you know, we, we see things. So Mick, let's get straight into it. Uh, first of all, maybe you could say a few words about our friends at Baltic Broadband. Yes, the Baltic Broadband Company, based in Liverpool, they provide ultra-fast internet to businesses. They don't do domestic properties, they do businesses. Challenging the status quo with a new form of broadband service. There'll be a little bit more about them a bit later in this podcast. So what have you been up to, Mick? Anything exciting been happening? Yeah, um, been a bit busier this year than I was towards the end of last year when it was deadly, I think it was for most people. And just... Um, you know, I'm glad the doors have now been blown open, as they say, um, COVID-wise, but still a little bit concerned that we're going to have another lockdown. I mean, obviously, I hope not. I hope not. I hope not. But um, interesting today, we've got two companies that actually have, have managed to get through the past sort of 12 to 18 months and seem to be um, hopefully going from strength to strength. I know no, not everybody's in that fortunate position, but it's good to hear from a couple of people who are, isn't it? It's um, years, and I think the thing that I take away from these two stories today is just how much they've taken the time over uh, the pandemic to 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 look at their business, to 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 make some real changes within their business that they're definitely going to have positive effects on them going forward, and also a lot of the changes they've made, they're going to stick to in the future as well. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 particularly interesting, isn't it? And I think a lot of sectors are like that. They're thinking, well, hang on, our people are working from home or we're doing a lot of business over Zoom, why change it? Um, I mean, that in itself brings other issues, I guess. But um, yeah, it's been a game changer, hasn't it? Absolutely, Mick. Our first story in this episode is Red and Blue Restaurants, which is a real Liverpool success story. Following on from the success of its three very different restaurants, the company is opening a fourth, and after a bit of a wobble with Rocket and Ruby, which opened in 2018 but then subsequently shut down, it's now being reinvented as Bouchon. 
a French bistro on Castle Street, creating new jobs in the process, as well as a much needed addition to the eating culture of the city. I caught up with co-owner Paddy Smith, and I asked him about the inspiration behind his restaurant brands and his own journey into the business. I'd always dreamed of being a chef from a very young age. It was either that or play for Liverpool. I quickly realised I wasn't a play for Liverpool. Uh, but from primary school age, I, I want to be a chef. Picture the scene, uh, the, the school bus, back seat, and I was the only lad with a wicker basket with a cottage pie in it. So you can, <laughs> you can imagine the, the, the stick I used to get uh, at school. But, uh, you know, I had, I had, a, I had a, a passion. I mean, people talk, talk about passion now, but I had a passion for it then. I, I loved cooking. I loved everything to do with it. I'm not too sure where that came from, because back in the, in the 70s, there, there weren't many chefs on TV, but that was what I wanted to do. And, and I went on to sort of become a chef. Talk to me a little bit about the experience that you gained as a chef and how that eventually led to you having restaurants of your own. I was working in, in Stockport and uh, I, was, I, was, I was cooking food and I knew it wasn't the food I wanted to cook. I didn't know what I wanted to cook because at, at the time, again, there was nothing on TV really. There wasn't a lot of cookery books. I just knew I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. And, and through a, a set of very fortuitous circumstances, I ended up getting a job. I looked into it really because I didn't deserve a job. I was just very lucky in Bermuda, uh, working for a, a lovely guy called Albert, who who used to be the uh, sous chef at Gavroche in in London, and he was probably the most amazing chef I've ever worked with. A really talented guy, uh, and also his team were were fabulous chefs as well. They all worked in Michelin style restaurants in Europe, and it was going from the black and white and grey of Stockport to the multi-century technicolor world of Bermuda it was it was an amazing experience and I was I was so far out of my depth I was I was mid-ocean. <laughs> so you, you were working out there in Bermuda and uh, no doubt you worked in other places too talk to me a little bit about how the restaurant uh, trade pulled you in then. Well um, it, it, a long story I, I worked abroad for 12 years um, and I loved every minute of it um, sort of travelled the world and through personal circumstances ended up back in the country uh, in, back in Stockport with my wife who, who had married along the way and um, started working for a couple of guys called Jonathan and Jason who owned Ego Restaurants in Chester and I, I joined them in, in 99 as their group chef and we stayed together for eight or nine years until they sold the restaurants in the restaurant group in 2008. I stayed on a bit longer with the new guys and then decided I was going to do my own thing. Um, at, at that point, I wanted to you know, open my own restaurant. So eventually you, you, you've become a restaurateur then. Just, just guide me through how, how that came about. It's funny you use that, that word. I still, I still feel like an imposter uh, using that word. When people say, what are you? And, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a restaurateur, I think, sort of thing. Anyway, um, I decided I was going to leave Ego. I wanted to do my own thing, and, and I had some money put aside, remortgaged the house, took a bank loan out, um, and, and I started looking for, for um, a unit to, to do something in. I didn't know what I wanted to do, what, what cuisine it was going to be. I just wanted to do something. And I looked around the Manchester area, obviously, because that's where I live. But I kept on sort of being pulled back into Liverpool almost. And uh, driving around one day, uh, I saw the, the uh, Follett sign on Church House, which is, is now Salt House Tappers. And and loved the building. It's a beautiful building. And, you know, arranged to, to, get, to get a viewing with the, with the agent. And it had been empty for many, many years. It was derelict in quite a poor state of repair when we walked in. But walking in there, immediately I, I walked in and, and it was like, this is a Madrid tapas bar, even though I've never been to Madrid in my life at that point. 
uh, I've been since to watch Liverpool. Um, it, but immediately, just it just I mean, it's a cliche. It, it sounds terrible, but it just spoke to me and. I could see as I walked into the building, I see bar was going on the left, kitchen on the right, mezzanine there, stairs downstairs, and that's how it is now. So that in the first ten seconds, I planned out how the restaurant was going to be, uh, and and that's how it unfolded. It was it just made so much sense to us, um, and you know we we did a deal with a landlord who was brilliant, helped us out, put the mezzanine in, which at great expense to himself, and and was really really helpful for us. And at that point in in 2010, it was hard to to get units, and uh, I had no track record of owning a restaurant. So he took a punt on me, and I, I you know invested in his building, and, and 11 years later, it was still there. So you've got Salt House. Talk to me about the other brands that I know you've got. Yeah, um, uh, we opened Salt House in 2010. That, that was successful straight away, uh, and then we did a deal the year after in 2011 to open Hanover Street Social, which is literally over the road. So that was that was very handy and. Part of part of our original business plan was to open four independently owned restaurants in Liverpool, um, all different names, different cuisines. Because we wanted to do something different, we wanted to do something that suited the building, the individual building that each restaurant was in. So, Hanover Street Social was um, we're actually going to call it White Star at, at, the, at the beginning. That was the working title we had for it. And then one day when we we were painting the unit, I'd seen uh, I'd read an article on on the um, the mafia social houses and the Italian social houses in New York, and I loved that word social. So we're chatting about it, myself and my business partner. And I said, I think we should get the word social in, in, in the title. And at that point, I mean, there are socials everywhere now, aren't there? At that point, nobody was using the word social. And I, I think we, we and one of the restaurateurs used that word in, in 2011. And, and you know, he's like, yes, yeah, Hanover Street Social. So the, the name came about through, through that. Uh, and then that, that took a while to get going, but it, uh, it's become a you know, real institution in Liverpool now, especially the Scousers love Hanover Street Social. They really love it. It's our most Scouse restaurant of all. Um, and then in 2014, um, a, a little bit of fortune, we, we, walked, uh, we walk around Liverpool quite a lot, seeing what's going on, new places. And we walked up and down Castle Street a few times, and there was only San Carlo at that point there. And we saw the corner unit, and it was advertised at, uh, I think it's 1,200 square foot, which is too small for us. And we said, let's just take a look at it. And as soon as we walked in, we knew it was bigger than 1,200 square foot. And, uh, and that unit became what, what is Bicaro now. Um, and then in 2018, we, uh, through a set of circumstances, opened Rocket Ruby in, in the building next door over the street from Bicaro. And Rocket and Ruby now obviously is gone, but uh, so that's led you to another new project. So talk to me a little bit about the project you've got on the go now. Yeah, Rocket and Ruby, um, we, we, we made mistakes and, and we got it wrong. Um, and the mistakes we made, we, we made them in, in, for the right reasons we thought at the time, best laid plans and all that. Um, but we, we, we got certain things wrong on the shop fit and, and the concept. So, so unfortunately we had to close that, even though the food was probably, we had, we had the best feedback on the food that we've ever had opening a restaurant, funnily enough. Uh, people love the food, but just not enough people, unfortunately. So, so we closed that in, in, I think it's October 19, I think it was, um, October, November. Uh, and then the pandemic hit, uh, so we, you know, we, we all all suffered for the last uh, 18 months or so. Uh, but in a funny way for us, um, having the pandemic and the stop-start nature of the year, so it's given us a long time to think about what we want to do with the site. We had to do something with it. You know, we, we, our name was on the lease. You know, we couldn't just sit there. Well, we could just sit there and pay the, pay the money, but that makes no sense. People want to take the lease off us, but, you know, they wouldn't have to give us any money for it, so... So we had a long conversation and I kept on coming back to doing a French brasserie, bistro, bouchon kind of thing. Uh, and I, I thought, 
even back in in the days when we were running Rocket Rocket and Ruby as Rocket and Ruby, we'd, we'd got the concept wrong for for the unit. We we put the wrong concept in there. So we had a lot of conversations about it, and we've distilled and thought about it. And, and being closed and, and being on furlough, as you know, gave us time to really talk through on on the phone mostly um, about what we wanted to do with the site, where where we would put the bar, where we what we do with the windows, how we'd look, what, what kind of feel, the menu, the food, the drink, and you know all those things. Where normally we probably won't get a lot of time to, to do that because we're you know busy running a business. We had time to really think it long and hard about it, which is I think thinking about things is is vastly underrated. And that's led to what is now going to be the new project of Bouchon. And I, having been in there and had a look around, it looks fantastic. Talk me through what the uh, what what people can expect when they go there. Well. Um It'd be like getting smacked in the face with a bit of Paris. <laughs> Seriously, um, we you know, we made a few mistakes. We we put the bar in the wrong place for Rocket Ruby, so the, the bar where it was now is gone, and that's going to back against the back wall, and it's going to be a, a wall of wine basically. So when you walk in, the first thing you're going to see is this beautiful, lit um, dark, dark wood oak, dark oak bar. Um, the windows, the front windows, are, is going to come out. We're going to buy full windows in there, uh, a big awning over the front, nice furniture, and it will look like a little bit of Paris, a little bit corner street of Paris in in Liverpool. Uh, we've got an old French wine list um, that we've created uh, with some absolutely beautiful wines. And choosing a bottle of wine, any, anyone can find a, a really good bottle of wine for for twenty odd quid. Anyone can do that. But finding the, the wines at, at the top of the list, the pouring wines, the value wines. That's a really hard thing to do, and we, we've managed to find some absolutely beautiful wines. You know, from from the house wine to to those first first few few wines at the top of the list. Some really really good quality, beautiful wines, and the, the food. Again, we've had a bit of time to think about the food and, and to refine it and to to cook off dishes. And, and um, um, Matt and his his team and have put together a beautiful beautiful menu. Um, you know, we're really really hopeful that it's going to be a raging success. I've seen the menu. I've seen. I had a sneak peek at the menu. Um, it's got some fabulous dishes on there, and it does really have an authentic kind of French look and feel to it. I'm particularly interested in the uh, in, in the business formula. Um, that's something I've not seen before. Tell me about that. Yeah, it's, I was I was in uh, funny enough I was in Paris in uh, 2018. I think it was. It was my son's 18th birthday. It was 2018. He was his 18th. He was born in 2000. We'd gone to watch Liverpool and we went to uh, a, a little uh, bistro for a, a bite to eat and, and they had a business formula on it um, there and that's where I first saw it. So you get a main course uh, and a glass of wine for £15. So any main course off the off the menu and, and, and where we are opposite the courts and in the business district, people who uh, you know, have got limited time can come in and just you know, have, a, have a, a bite to it. Beautiful, you know, um, you know beef bourguignon or steak or burger or whatever it is, a piece of chicken, a piece of fish and, and a glass of wine or a beer uh, and you're in and out in 45 minutes. So we, we think it's a, a great um, a great offer for, for the, you know, the business people in the area. I think as well there's some really nice little touches on the menu from, from what I can see. I'm particularly fond of the idea of homemade pastis as well. Tell me, tell me how those little kind of things come about. Yeah, we're, we're always, I mean... Johnny and myself, we run a business, but our managers and chefs are always coming up to us, little ideas and little things they've seen and, and they want to. And it's, it was Karen, uh, our, you know, she's our, our business partner as well, and, and we, we make our own limoncello in, um, in Beccaro. So I think that's where it came from. And, and she said to us, you know, one day she just came and said, right, you know, we're making our own pastis. And we're like, are we? Right, okay. And off she went and she researched it and, and you know, she done, done some... 
you know, distilling. And uh, we, we actually did a blind tasting with, with some brand pastiches and, and on our own. And it was a genuine blind tasting, uh, blind tasting and, and ours came out tops. So we're, we're pretty proud of that. So it'd be a little uh, uh, end of the evening, a little pastiche on the house is a, you know, a lovely thing to give. Being, being generous, generosity is, is a very powerful thing. And, and the more generous you can be, you know, the better. And I think that's it. I think you, 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 from from the conversations that we've had, I know you're a very honest guy. You, you know, you, you you're very transparent about you know what you're doing and how you're doing it. But I think it's those little touches that make the big difference to people. Um, and and it's, it's a really exciting offer, I think, on here. And so you, let's touch briefly on 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 the difficulties that that COVID's thrown up. You talked us through how it's given you a bit of a chance to draw breath. But talk to me about the impact of COVID for you as a as a restaurant. It's been very difficult. Um, it's not something I'd, I'd like to, um, to to go through again. Uh, nothing any of us would do. Um, you know, quite often you can grow and learn from from difficulties. But um, I lost an uncle um, in April last year through COVID. I was very close to. So, you know, I've, 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 that's touched my life, and it's been difficult for everyone. It's been difficult for our, our staff. You know, we we employ people from all all over the world. You know, they've had you know, personal difficulties with their friends and family. Um, so it has been really, really tough. And I remember last Christmas was particularly hard. I mean, people were, you know, generally worried for, for themselves and their families with meeting up at Christmas time as well. Um, it has given us time. I mean, one of the positives to come out of it really, really early in the, um, uh, in, in the pandemic, Dave Critchley organised a WhatsApp group and a meeting with fellow independent restaurateurs in Liverpool. And that was a lovely thing. We all got together. And we, we created a big WhatsApp group, and, and that's one of the few positives out of the last year is that we've all been uh, helped each other, supported each other, and and you know given people help, um, help and tips, and you know just just general advice how to get through things. And we're, we're a competitive bunch as restaurateurs, and we're all after the same thing. We're all after that 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 guest, that customer with a pound in his pocket to come and spend. We want them to. We want those people to spend it in our restaurants, not their restaurants. So. So naturally, we're you know we're competitive, but it's been a lovely thing, you know, all of us getting together and, and helping each other. So I would say that's the the main positive come out of it for Liverpool. Do you think that there is a sense of real community here in Liverpool? I mean, it, would that be one of the reasons that you're here? Yeah, I think there's always always been that. My my, my family's from Liverpool. My my mum and dad left in '65 just before I was born. My dad worked out of the India buildings on the docks. Says left school at 14 with no, no qualification. My mum often says, you know, she left at 14 as well, and she'd either work to work in a cigarette factory or on the pools. She was lucky; she 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 got a job as a secretary. Um, so I think that sense of community. I mean, it's, it's I think Liverpool's famous for it, isn't it? So, um, and you know, for, for again for us, us restaurateurs to to get together, it's it's been a really really nice thing and. And you knew a lot of the people beforehand, but didn't know them well. And and you know now you know I've got to know them really well over over WhatsApp and conversations and Zoom calls. And 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 I know that that friendship will stay. I don't think it will just disappear now that we're we're coming out of it. Why is it important that we are seen here in this region as a destination still? What difference does that make to us going forward? I think you know speaking. Purely as a restaurateur, it's it's great. You know, it's, it's great for the city. I was, I was chatting to someone a while ago, and the Champions League night. I'm a local fan. Uh, I make no bones about that. But the Champions League nights in the restaurants. I remember when we played Barcelona. People remember that obviously for the game. But I remember being in, in Bacaro that day, and 
and I didn't think we were going to win 4-0. Um, you know, I think everyone's honest enough to, to think that. But I was in Bacaro and it was full of, you know, Liverpool fans, Barcelona fans. And, and the atmosphere around 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, it was, it was a thing of beauty. It was just a great place to be. You know, the hustle, bustle, the noise. I, I love the noise of restaurants. It's, it's a wonderful thing for me. And, and to see people sat there, you know, different nationalities, chatting together, it's it just a wonderful, wonderful feeling. Um, so I think, you know, for us as a, as a restaurant group, it's great that, you know, people want to come uh, for, for lots of different reasons, not just the football. I mean, I, I was, you know, it, it took me to open a restaurant in Liverpool to realise how popular the Beatles were. I just I couldn't believe the amount of people coming to see, coming to Liverpool for the Beatles still. It was, it, I was astounded. I think there needs to be a mix, you know, there needs to be the North Docks, you know, the development needs to push through. So, so, so seeing the development of the Baltic Quarter over the last 10 years is, is amazing. You know, I, I feel really proud of the Baltic. I've had nothing to do with the Baltic Quarter at all, but I feel really proud of, of, of that development myself. To see, uh, you know, consider, I've always considered Liverpool to be my city, so it's it's great to see that that change and that development. It, it needs to keep on pushing forward because it's uh, it needs that balanced economy. Agreed, totally agreed. Talk to me about the future, Paddy. Well, we in, in two thousand and nine, ten, you know, we wrote uh, uh, the, the original business plan for the business, and, and we didn't, have, you know, didn't have anything, didn't didn't have a business at all. But we we wanted to create four independent restaurants um, with different concepts in, in the city of Liverpool. Uh, we we kind of completed that with Rocket and Ruby. Um, that, that was an abortive attempt, really. So hopefully with Bouchon, we, we do complete that business plan. So I think what we've created is is four. Four different restaurants, brands, call them what you want, um, with real identity and, and uniqueness, all within a mile of each other. Um, and we've been able to create that in a fairly small city, you know, Liverpool. So future-wise, we, you know, we, we, we feel we've got um, a really strong business that we can, you know, f- the foundations are there and four brilliant businesses that we could take to other cities if, if that's how we, you know, we, we see things. Our main priority now is, you know, our, our eyes are all focused on getting Bouchon open and running... Uh, next week's a big week. We're getting wine orders in, and and it's going to end. And next week's going to really look like a restaurant. And the focus is, you know, getting the team in, trained up, the chefs cooking in the kitchen, getting you know, those smells of of wonderful food going through the restaurant instead of building smells of glue and varnish and all the rest of it. Uh, and that is the main focus. And once Bouchon hopefully hits the ground running and is a success, then then we really will turn our our, our focus on on you know on the future. And the plan is to open it towards the back end of July, isn't it? So how can people keep an eye out to, uh, to get updates on there? Give us some of your ideas of your, of your social media sites and, and if there's anything going to be on there on a regular yeah, basis. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been difficult. I mean, we, we've had terrible problems. The builders have had terrible problems getting hold of basic, basic things like stainless steel, glazing. One day the builder ran out and said, where are you going? He said, I've got to go get some plasterboard. So what do you mean? He said, I found some plasterboard. And he was very excited, he found some plasterboard. It's, it's supplies are in real, real short supply. So that we should be open now and trading, but unfortunately we've had to you know, work with the builders and, and you know, understand their, their issues. We should be open close or around you know, the 24th, 25th of July, so towards the end of the month. We'll be opening the bookings next week, and you can f- see us on Twitter on Bouchon Deluxe, and on Insta it is Bouchon Castle St Castle Street. Paddy, it's been great to talk to you and to have a quick insight into uh, into what you're all about, and also to get a sneak peek at the uh, Bouchon Restaurant. I know it's going to be a success, so uh, I look forward to catching up with uh, with you over a, a glass of pastis at some point soon. Definitely, I look forward to it, Mark. 
That was Paddy Smith there, the co-owner of Red and Blue. Great to see them not giving up after the failure of Rocket and Ruby and opening that new restaurant, Bouchon, which I guess we'll have to try sometime. Absolutely, Mick. It looks incredible. Um, and I'm really excited about the menu, genuinely excited about what it's going to offer there on that, on that site. It was an incredibly honest appraisal there from Paddy, Mick. Uh, and obviously, as I said before, they've taken the time to look at that site in Castle Street and to be bold enough to see that it just wasn't working. And as a result, it's definitely going to be an exciting new addition to the city's restaurant list. Yeah, it's good to hear that because so often we hear from people running businesses and they never admit to any failure. Well, blimey, you're not human unless you screw up, are you really? So that was good to hear them talk about that. And as you say, optimistic for the future, hopefully, as well. Yeah, and, and another really good thing to hear from Paddy when I chatted to him was, was how the restaurateurs of Liverpool came together as a group and how they supported each other as well during the pandemic. I mean, obviously, there's going to be some fierce rivalries there, but uh, it was brilliant to see such a strong sense of community there. Yeah, and I, I would hope that that will stay because we're not out of the deep water yet, are we, by any stretch of the imagination, as we were saying before. So it, if, they can con- if they can continue to meet and support each other, then I think, um, I think that's a positive step forward, isn't it? So what have you been up to then, Mick? Who have you been to see? Well, Hugh and Howard Miller run Miller Brothers, creating unique handmade hardwood kitchens and accessories from their workshop on the second floor of a classic Victorian warehouse in Blundell Street on the edge of the Baltic Triangle. Every single item they make, from a bespoke kitchen to a small table, is a unique creation, with every detail individually designed to create personality and a sense of style for each client. They recently won the KBB Review Kitchen Designer of the Year Award, and despite having to cope with Brexit and COVID like so many other businesses, they have ambitious plans to grow the company and expand its highly skilled workforce and ensure their name is well known all over the city and beyond. I met Hugh and Howard Miller and the rest of the team at their workshop on Blundell Street very recently. One of the things that's really interesting about our workshop is it's on the second floor of a Victorian warehouse, which means everything's hoisted in and, and hoisted out like it was 100 years ago. So right. the door's here. Oh, it actually work. It all still comes in through there. Oh my word, how, how high are we, we above the street here? About 15 metres and it still still works on the... Oh on wow. Hoist. You'll see the hook come down if I do. What originally was this? Warehouse the warehouse for, for, for the docks. Actually, apparently, it used to have hardwoods, hardwood stored here from all over the world. Can you see the hook there? Yes, yeah. Wow. So any furniture or wood that comes here comes up the, this outside lift? That's right, yeah. It's just as you entered through with the only other access to the building. Right, OK. And what made you choose this particular space here on Blundell Street? Oh, I mean, we wanted to be part of the Baltic Triangle. I mean, it was this, it was, you know, the renaissance of, of Liverpool along with um, uh, the uh, Liverpool One development. And um, we, we love uh, the city. We grew up near Liverpool. Um, and um, when Howard and I wanted to sort of move back to the Northwest to set, settle down and, and, and create roots, this was sort of our number one choice. So you're the furniture maker, aren't you, Hugh? That's right. And Howard's an architect. That's right, yes. And a landscape architect. A, la- a yeah, landscape, landscape designer. designer yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What's it like? <laughs> this is a, com- uh, this is a, 
potentially explosive question. What's it like working with someone so close with your brother? You know, I mean, we, we get asked that a lot, actually. Uh, and um, it's definitely um, I mean, it definitely has its challenges, um, but the challenges are offset by the fact that because we're brothers, we know each other very well. We can argue, you know, aggressively, and then it will be, you know, um, uh, under the bridge, and and uh, and so actually, it it often short circuits a lot of the, you know, protracted conversations you'd have to have with someone who was, you know, just a business partner or or a friend. Um, uh, we we uh, the other thing I, I think that's important about Howard and I's uh, uh, sort of relationship in regards to the business is that we are actually. Uh, quite complementary of each other's skills um, in that, um, I don't know if anyone's ever done the, the, the Myers-Briggs 16 personalities test. We, we happen to be the opposite letter from each other in every single category. So we're basically the, exactly the opposite personality. I'm really sort of detail oriented and about sort of like completing and finishing and, and um, I'm sort of quite sort of like emotionally driven. Howard's very sort of like, strategic calm he's a collaborator he's more sort of um social than i am I like, so i like starting things he like he was good at finishing things off well that that sounds like a pretty not that good he doesn't deal like starting things so right. i'm not as good at finishing things yeah. off <laughs> it, it, we, we generally how it generally does the meta the meta thinking and i do the the, the the micro thinking well talking about micro thinking we are here in your reception we've got a handful of small models of some of your work that's been commissioned in other parts of the country and the first thing i noticed from your website was this here this this is from what, what we're looking at now it's a a model of a wooden stove from the william morris museum is that right that's right yeah so how would i am um... Uh, how did I design this piece um, in response to a brief to replace the long lost stove at the Red House, which is William Morris's only, um, the only house that William Morris designed and lived in, uh, which is in Bexley Heath in London. And um, it's actually, a, it's a classic example of the way Howard and I collaborate, which was that I had sort of found out about this commission and, and was, just knew it was something that was perfect for us to do it fitted into exactly the kind of work that we love that we love to do design led and interesting um and having come back with, from a you know a really sort of detailed sort of analysis and sort of data gathering exercise at red house um uh, i presented all this stuff to howard and said you know I've, I've got all this information it's such an interesting idea but it's not coalescing around an actual form uh, but i know that you know it's to replace this stove so it has to be something to do with like burning maybe we should burn the wood or have something sort of like you know charcoal or whatever and howard said why don't we set it on fire well that that's an amazing idea yeah, and about half an hour later the piece is designed and it was designed around this idea of a burn funnel uh, which is based on a a, a a a special window design which exists in red house um and uh, the idea is that we made a piece of furniture and then we set it on fire in the garden at red house in what we call the burn ceremony and now it sits in the in the what was the kitchen uh, at Red House uh, with this huge scorch mark through which, it, which we can see in this miniature which is, model, which can't is done we? With a cigarette lighter in the model. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go into the workshop. Yeah. So you've got um, a handful of people working for you here. Is it? Is it three? three yeah, there's a team of five in total. So um, uh, we're. When we take people on, it's basically we're looking for people who are really ambitious and want to do really interesting, high quality making. It's not, a, this isn't a workshop for 
for jobbing joiners. This is no, a no. this is a workshop uh, which we describe as for woodworking professionals. Um, it's a, it's about really interesting, detail oriented work. And um, where do these people come from? Because you assume, I obviously wrongly assumed that those kind of skills were dead nowadays. Who? who well, know, where, where do your staff come from? I, I, I did hear some sort of non-English accents before, indeed, so yeah. I'm, I'm assuming you had to go abroad to, to find them. So, sometimes. Um, uh, a couple of our guys are from Poland, though they've been living in the UK for many, many years, so have done a lot of their practice in the UK. Um, ben, who's just started with us, is from down south, uh, from Essex. Um, and uh, previous to that, we've um, had um, Thomas from Germany, who was helping us for a bit. And Rachel was from London, Bristol. Bristol yeah. So it's it's mainly the UK and and, and, um, and other parts of Europe. But um, um, Jord Welsh. Yeah, the yeah, other yeah. nationality in there. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, obviously where people come from makes no yeah, difference no, to no, us. No. Yeah, no. What we care about is the skills. And where would people like the people we can see in the workshop now? Where would they get the skills from? Oh, well, I mean, that's kind of the really interesting point, isn't it? So, I mean, the thing is, is that it's, it's I think it's experience rather than, yeah, you'd, I think you're looking for somebody who, who understands it from a theoretical and kind of fundamental point of view, because obviously timber, it's not, it, it moves, it has its own will, right? Uh, and it, it, you need to be able to design things and think through what piece exactly that you're using. You know, so like we're looking over at Christopher at the moment. He has, um, he's uh, veneering um, a really complicated piece, which is a game table. But that these these exact pieces um, are picked specially from a from a veneer. So it's not like he just sort of had he needed he had a cutting list and he just chopped up. Um, you know, 15 rectangles the same size and they just happen to be those ones. It's like, it's a little bit like butchery where you, you're actually choosing the exact cuts with a, a mindfulness. So you make bespoke furniture and bespoke kitchens and kitchen accessories. How do you get your work? Who, who commissions them? How do they find out about you? Well, um, the way people tend to find out about us is that we're very lucky to have good friends in the press who want to tell people about us and and um, and and promote our work um we we largely use um the the print media um online blogging and um and and like the broadsheets to put photos of our work out there for people to see and to be honest when people see the photos it kind of sells itself wow wow well, and you've won a lot of awards in recent years you won one last year one of the kitchen design awards yeah, kitchen. It was kitchen of the year over thirty thousand pounds, and um, it was the furniture maker's kitchen. Yeah, we won kitchen of the year for the furniture maker's kitchen, which is um, kind of what we've been building up to for. It feels like a decade or the twelve years we've been we've had this workshop. Um, it's my kitchen which is really important to say. Oh, it's really your kitchen. It's ge genuinely oh, right. my kitchen, as in <laughs> okay. it's in my flat. Yeah. And we we designed and made it o over the first lockdown of the pandemic when no one really knew what was happening and it seemed like the perfect moment to like, actually, we've got no, no one's knocking on the door. We, uh, we, we want to do a portfolio piece that really demonstrates what we're all about. 
no compromises, just pure wood design. Right. Um, so, and that's where the idea of the Furniture Maker's Kitchen came from. Um, and it's really just a tour de force of what you can do with uh, uh, timber and uh, a design-led process. And so it exemplifies all of our interests in Scandinavian design, in Japanese design, in wood technology, in using interesting materials like shoji paper from Japan and um, it, it's it's just a it's just a really interesting innovative space and because of that it was able to get published in the times and then we got a huge job through at the moment which is what we're making at the moment fantastic uh, which is in solid British elm which is a joy of a material to use it's got amazing detailing and it's going to be like no one's ever seen before hmm. And if I have seen that article say in the Times, of course, I say to you, who can I have one like that? But you say, well, no, you, each, can't. <laughs> you can't because each each design is completely unique. Uh, our stuff really does verge on, it goes from the full gambit, interior design, architecture, kitchen design, cabinetry, product. It's sort of all the, it's it's all of those combined. That, of course, is a, is a unique selling point of our work, but it's not just for the customer that we do that. Like, Actually, we're designers. We want to do really interesting stuff. Yeah. And we don't want to just repeat the same thing again and again. We want it to be the perfect thing for that particular client, for that particular home. Um, so that's why we have this mantra of making genuinely original designs. Each design is genuinely original. And do the people who want the kitchens done, do they always know what they want? Because, I mean... No, absolutely not. And neither is it their job to know. No. That's our job as professionals, yeah. to, to help them tease out the things that are really important about their lives, the way they like to use their kitchens, about the way they like to use their homes, so that we can basically create something that they're going to fall in love with. Now, you, you, you mentioned very briefly before one of your co one of the people that works for you is uh, working on a games table, yeah. and I did notice that on the website, and I thought, well, is that part of a commission to do the kitchen, or is it separate? Did no. someone say to you, I want a games table, for example? In that particular instance, uh, yeah, they said we want a games table. Uh, uh, but it's what, what we do is wood design, high-end wood design and making. So the idea of us making a games table or making a, uh, a, 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 like a really intricate pantry cabinet for a kitchen, for us, it's not actually, they're not two different things. They're the same yeah. sort of design-led, uh, um, high-quality material, um, you know, handmade woodwork that basically we specialize in. So although our, our business in some ways is sort of a niche, actually that niche is a has a very wide gambit of types of project that, it, that we do. It's extremely, <laughs> I know this is obvious, but it's extremely artistic, isn't it? It's, mm, totally, yeah. yeah. It's it's an artistic creation that you're you're embarking on every right, yeah. every project, aren't you? Well, we're not necessarily you know there are easier ways to make money than the way that we do it here, yeah. but we're not necessarily uh, trying to be the most sort of efficient or the most um, the most sort of um, profitable. What we're trying to do is do the most interesting stuff. Um, and that's because that's what me and Howard are interested in. That's what we want to be known for, what we want to build a, our, our business on. Brexit, post-Brexit, has that had any impact on, on you in terms of importing woods or a I bit. don't know? It's been really fun exporting. The um, That was really tough after... Yeah, how um, is this fun? What you mean is yeah. a nightmare. Yeah. I mean, 
things that would have taken three days to arrive previously took uh, two and a half months. A lot of the companies that I think the government assumed were going to just kind of like read all of their their stuff at the last minute and kind of react to it. Well, actually, a lot of them just said, actually, I'm not going to bother, just opted out. So what you've still got are things like DHL and, you know, some of the big players, and they'll do it on the same terms as they would if you were, say, you know, if you were going to ship something to Indonesia or somewhere we'd never had a deal with, right? I don't know if you ever had a deal with Indonesia or not. Um, but, um, you know, and it'll basically, it will get there. It was just really expensive. They'll fly it there and they'll send it on a dedicated vehicle and it'll cost thousands of pounds, whereas it would have cost, you know, in the hundreds of pounds. So it's kind of at a zero. And then the other way is that, you know, whereas we used to be able to send stuff with um, kind of pallet handlers who charge you like a hundred pounds or something to get something to Europe and it would just go through all the normal systems. Now what happens is that they just collect them all up and they wait until they've got a full lorry somewhere. So we've had something that's been waiting, you know, a customer in France who's been waiting for something. And we were told by the by the people who took it, who were one of the only people who were still doing it on this kind of cheaper rate, that it was going to be, you know, it would be there, you know, any time now. But it sort of took months and they got really annoyed, quite rightly so, to be honest with you. And how about, how has COVID affected your, your particular business? Well, I mean, we've been in a... A lucky position to to be sort of growing the business throughout COVID, um, which of course is partly out of design. We we've been we've been working really hard at growing it, and it's um it's partly because people have been spending more time at home, and they, that's where they want to invest their um, their savings. Um, so in many ways, we have not necessarily had the the the, the worst of COVID uh, in in our business practice. That being said, we have had illness and people being off. Uh, we've also had a lot of trouble having stuff delivered, um, and um, and and some supplies have been running running low. And um, there's a cutter we'd need for the spindle molder, which literally is not available nationwide until July. We tried to get it in January, <laughs> so that's seven months of not having a specific cutter. But there have been some upsides to um, the lockdowns. I would say that before lockdown, we used to go out as a matter of course, as a as a you know a, a point of pride. Really, we would we we wanted to offer a very personal service and go and see anyone who was interested in you know in commissioning us. Sometimes you know very often we were going down to London. You know very regularly every other week we'd be going down to see somebody four hours away, and when we couldn't do that. We switched to doing it remotely via, you know, uh, Zoom or Microsoft Teams, that, as everybody did, right? Um, and what we found is that when you're both sitting at a computer having a meeting, it's much more businesslike. Um, I think that they enjoyed having a kind of a sort of an instant record of the conversation. We had to kind of make it much more explain exactly how we were going to do it and uh, make it a much more formal, I think, but kind of formal in a good way. We've had compliments from clients who who've who've recognised our system actually is really good. It really works fast. It's efficient, and it and everybody knows where they are. I think it. I think it's actually resu resulting in better projects, better outcomes. So you're going to continue with it, yeah? We we wouldn't ever go back. No, no.
Interesting. And uh, sort of $64,000 question, where would you like to be as a business in sort of five years' time? In five years' time, we'd like to be in a space probably two, three, four times the size of this with a workforce two, three, four times the size. Um, we want to be doing uh, projects uh, across the UK, but actually probably across the world. And we'd like to be creating really well-paid interesting jobs that people want to want to come and work for us uh, to do and for Howard and I to be basically fulfilling our potential as designers and makers so that we're doing the most interesting the best quality woodwork that is going I think I'd add to that that I'd, I think we'd like to be training people as well because um, one of your early questions was about how do you get to these sort of things and at the moment we basically we search high and low for good people to come and to make to make the team and we have got a very good team um but i think going forward we want to be able to be be recruiting people who are sort of a lot earlier in their career and training them up the way we want them to be um so that's something i i would feel quite passionately about um and i think the other thing i would add is i'd like at the moment we're as you know we're sort of we were talking about being kind of like everything in the full sort of hidden behind the roller show and there's loads of interesting things going on but you never see it I, i'd love it if people knew who we were you know, and if, if somebody said our name they you know everybody knew who that was i'd quite like to be a, a you know a known brand although the the b word sometimes is, is, it comes across as a bit sort of salesy and 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 markety in a bad way. We don't want to be a, a a a little a little workshop in hidden floor in in a warehouse. We we want uh, to be synonymous with the kind of design led work that we're specialising in here, and for people to search us out for that. Um, yeah, right now it feels like people we're a sort of needle in the haystack, but I don't want it. I don't want people to be going to the haystack no, to find we us. Be, we want to be a big <laughs> shiny needle. Hanging out that everyone can see. Well, after this, you'll be a slightly bigger needle. <laughs> <laughs>how refreshing to hear them talk about their ambitions for their business with such passion. And it's almost harkening back to a time when the city was brimming full with traditional carpenters, furniture makers, and how mad, Mick, was it to see them using that old pulley system in their venue as it was meant to be used originally? Yeah, yeah. And it was originally a warehouse, as they said, used for wood, and now they're using it again. So it, it's amazing. And to watch those guys, their, their small team there of craftspeople working on that wood, it was a real, it was a real privilege, actually. And it's, it's fantastic that they're hoping to expand as well. So, I mean, those kind of skills, which I thought were dead, are certainly not dead. And it's so good to see... Uh, different types of businesses like that continuing to, to, to establish themselves here in the Baltic and uh, hopefully to, to thrive in the future and, and, and to take their reputation to other places around the country. Yes, it is. To have that level of excellence on our doorstep can only be a good thing.
Talking about excellences, I said I'd mentioned the Baltic Broadband Limited again, and I will do that our partners in the Baltic Triangle podcast. A business-only network, the upload speed and download speeds are the same with Baltic Broadband. They only work with businesses, and they've got a range of home worker packages that will supercharge your businesses with packages specially designed for home workers. That's Baltic Broadband Limited, a 24-7 customer service based here in Liverpool. None better, believe me. And once again, uh, it's always a pleasure to have them associated with our podcast and uh, we do thank them very much for their support. Uh, well, that's almost it for us from this episode, but uh, do keep an eye out for Bouchon's opening and check out the incredible craftsmanship on display at the Miller Brothers website. And the links to both companies will be in the episode notes which accompany this particular show. If people have got any any ideas about businesses or organisations that they'd like us to feature in the Baltic Triangle podcast, then all you need to do is email us. We read and respond to all our emails, not like every single organisation in this city. Let's leave it there. That email address, Mark, is? It's info at baltictrianglepodcast.com. That's info at baltictrianglepodcast.com. So thanks for listening to us at the Baltic Triangle Podcast. Stay safe and we'll hopefully talk to you again very soon. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye.